Welcome to Asking for a Friend with me, your host, Katrina Buffard. I'm a clinical sexologist, psychotherapist, and sexuality researcher. And this podcast covers any and every topic relating to sex, intimacy, or relationships that you might feel a little too embarrassed to ask about. This season of Asking for a Friend is sponsored by Desire, South Africa's leading sexual health and wellness store. For a lovely little discount, stay tuned until the end of this episode. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Dr. Amani Zarug, who is a clinical psychologist as well as a relationship and psychosexual therapist. She specializes in a variety of mental health problems and has been working in the field for the past 20 years. We're going to talk in depth about relationship patterns and the common problems that couples face and why taking responsibility for what you bring into a relationship dynamic is the most important factor when it comes to a healthy and successful relationship. Amani, I'm thrilled to be featuring you on the podcast already in season three now, but finally really needing to talk about the topics like relationship patterns, like communication, like the difficulties couples can face. These are things that are so important to each and every one of us because there is not one human being on this planet that will never have a relationship. And I don't mean romantic purely there. I just mean a relationship with another human being. Yeah, absolutely. I I think this is such an important topic. I think it's a fascinating one. So I was really pleased, you know, that you asked me to talk about it. Um, And I completely agree with you. I think we can think about relationship patterns in so many different types of relationships. And we often tend to only think about romantic relationships, but our patterns exist with our colleagues, with our children, with our parents, siblings, and so on. So um, it's kind of a topic that keeps on giving, I think. That's a really nice way to put it. And I've often given workshops for corporates and, 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 and um, you know, more professional groups where I use the, the theory behind couples that we would use in our practice that we've learned through our training in a corporate setting to help people understand the dynamics between them and another person, between them and others. And everybody has always given me positive feedback when I've given those workshops, because as we've just been saying, relationships are relationships. A dynamic in a relationship is a dynamic, whether it's going to be between siblings, parents, children, partners, colleagues, and so on. There's always going to exist a dynamic. So I guess I want to just jump straight in and ask you about the most common patterns that you see in relationships. Well, in relationships, I I see a number of very like interesting and um, uh, complicated patterns. I I feel that people often come together to resolve past trauma, um, and sometimes it's not so apparent in in the beginning of a relationship, but um, slowly we kind of realize that maybe what we're mirroring in this relationship with another person has to do with something that we've experienced in the past and it potentially then becomes reparative, uh, if that makes sense. It does make sense, especially to me, because this is what we do for a living. But I wonder if you can just get a little bit deeper into what do you mean by past trauma? 
because you've spoken about trauma and healing there in the same breath, which I totally get. And I totally agree with how could we, could we go deeper into that? Could you delve into that more? Yeah. So you're right. I mean, I spoke about trauma and healing in exactly the same breath. And that's actually what I find really fascinating and rewarding about working with couples is that the same things that trigger us, so annoy us, you know, instigate a a huge emotional reaction in, in us are exactly the same things that can potentially be very developmental for us. It, it allows an opportunity for, for the trigger to appear and then for us to work through it. So if we think about our insecurities, for example, and how they appear in relationships. So often, often we might think that our partner is doing something that is making us feel a certain way, a way that we don't like, it's uncomfortable. But often in, in couples therapy, you'll be asked to look at what your partner is doing, but also what are you contributing to the feeling that you're having as well? And is that something to do with um, unresolved trauma? What I mean by that is experiences you've had in the past, in your childhood or in other relationships maybe. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm, what I'm meaning by it. I don't know if I'm being clear there. You are being clear. Okay. I I'm finding that really interesting. I'm sitting here thinking about myself and my own experiences. And I'm thinking about how in my past experiences, the same pattern has played out repeatedly again and again and again. Now, as a psychotherapist, I've been in my own therapy for over a decade now. Actually, it's, yeah, just over a decade and I finally, it's taken me a long time, but I finally in, you know, the last seven years, I'd say, come to make sense of and understand the patterns of behavior that were playing out. And I would say only in the last three or four years have I understood the root of those patterns and the little traumas. And I say little because I look at them as kind of being consistent little traumas across, you know, my lifetime rather than a really whopping big trauma. I can now see how the patterns that I experienced in my relationships before link back directly to those little traumas happening throughout my lifetime. And I think sometimes it's it's difficult for us as the partner of uh, in a relationship to acknowledge that actually it's us and the stuff that we are contributing in that dynamic, in that pattern. And I did a, a really wonderful episode um, in season two with, with Stephen Laverick, a couples therapist, on what exactly happens in couples therapy. And you'll know this, that so many partners come to see us and say, sort my partner out. They're doing this. Yes, He's yes. doing that. He's doing this. And I don't like yeah. it. And we're not there as couples therapists to sort your partner out. We're actually there to help you work through your own stuff in conjunction with your partner. And so when I think about my own patterns and my own traumas, I've had to go through that process of recognizing what I'm bringing to the pattern that exists between me and my partner and how actually while 
my partner leaving the, you know, the dishes in the sink, such a silly but common example, leaving the dishes in the sink is really triggering for me. That's an action he's doing. I have to figure out why it is that that action is so triggering and own it. Would you mm-hmm. say that that I've come a long way in my own couples therapy? I think you've therapy? come a very, very long way. I think you've come a very long way. And, and I think it's fascinating that often couples therapy, which is about the relate the couple really exposes um, uh, your your own individual healing as well in the way that you, that you are talking about um, and 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 I think you definitely have have come a long way and I think it takes a lot of a lot of work and introspection to be able to just acknowledge it and and admit it and be okay with it and then potentially think what can I do to, to change this for myself, not, not even just for the other person. Yeah. To, to own it is really, really hard. Yes. So if, if someone's, we've all experienced traumas throughout our life, what behavior, what patterns then do we see? What are the dynamics that take place between people? Yeah. I think, you know, in, in this line of work, as, as you know, so many people have core beliefs negative core beliefs about themselves. So they, a common one would be, you know, I'm unworthy, for example. And if you're going into a relationship already feeling like you don't deserve it, like they're better than you for whatever reason, you're already at a level that isn't equal in the relationship. So you might create or contribute to creating a dynamic that feels unequal because somehow that feels right, although it also feels wrong (laughs) at the same time. Um, So so you may get into a pattern of self-sabotage, for example, where, you know, um, because you don't feel deserving, you make it so that the other person also is is prickly or feels like this is maybe not a relationship um, to invest to invest in. Are there are there some other examples you can give? So if you've got one person who kind of might self sabotage, have you got the opposite of that? Where and and I've I've seen this often where a partner will do anything and everything to make sure that this relationship works. Yes, absolutely. I, absolutely. And again, you know, sometimes that comes from, I mean, it looks like on the surface, that looks like someone who is really determined to make it work. And they, and they are, you know, someone who understands that relationship are also work as well as joy. At the same time, though, that can also stem from a feeling of uh not being valued. So, so for example, someone who isn't clear on their own boundaries and what's okay and what's not okay allows makes excuses maybe for the other person that they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't accept for a friend or for a daughter or for, do you see what I'm saying? And then they are constantly trying to make it work. And the other partner also realizes that to some degree so because the boundaries aren't very clear, that person may push and push. Um, and, and then that gets into a dynamic where one is constantly, I suppose, taking and the other one is giving, but neither are happy. 
The word that really sticks out for me there is boundaries. I think that, you know, based on what you've said and based on my experience, that the real challenges I've seen in, in couples in the dynamic is when there are no boundaries or boundaries are being constantly crossed. Can we just touch on boundaries a little bit and why those are so crucial in a relationship? Yeah, absolutely. You know, sometimes I get people to write down two lists to clarify what their boundaries are. So I'll ask them to write a list of the thing they want, the things that they want in a relationship, and also the things that they need. So the needs list is a kind of uh, red flag list. So they're they're necessary if these things in the need list are not there then there is no relationship um and it really helps people to identify what where their boundaries are and also uh in the the context of that so it's much easier to write down a hypothetical list than it is to actually potentially implement that list in a relationship when you haven't actually specified that for yourself. You haven't made it clear for yourself what are the things that are unconditional in this relationship? What do I need in order to thrive? And and also in order for me to feel like I want to be my best and give my best in this relationship, not purely receive all the time. It's such a lovely way to put it actually, to thrive in a relationship so many of the couples that that contact us as couples therapists are at rock bottom Mm -hmm. they often say to us as couples therapists you know this is our last chance Mm -hmm. i had a colleague who who used such a wonderful phrase once she said we are the unicorn in the sense that couples they the i mean the gottman institute found that it takes an average of six or seven years for couples to seek therapy Mm-hmm. And by that stage, things are pretty bad mm-hmm. and patterns are pretty entrenched and boundaries are pretty non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that we're the unicorn is the couples therapist that is going to be magical and sprinkled sparkles all over it and make it better, you know, in a very short amount of time is very unrealistic because when six or seven years has passed before you're seeking help and support for very entrenched patterns of behavior, for really difficult things that are taking place between you, it's not going to magically change in one or two sessions. It's going to take time. And to pick up on a point you said earlier, these are actually lifelong traumas that are coming up and bubbling up to the surface. Now, those traumas, are those childhood traumas? Are they other relational traumas? Could they be Could they be other things? What exactly could those traumas be? I think, you know, you, you touched on traumas being multiple micro traumas and, and there are micro traumas and there are macro, you know, more kind of specific traumas and they stem from all the areas I, I think that you mentioned. So our childhood and our relationships and often we might even choose a relationship where there's a, a, a similar trauma to our childhood in order to repair it. For example, you know, if if you grew up with an absentee father, for example, and you interpreted that as you're not deserving of attention, um, then you may choose someone who is also um, at times unavailable with the hope 
to repair repair that within this relationship, which also might heal that that feeling of not being given enough attention as a child. So you're bringing to mind an example of a couple I saw. Now this is not unique in the sense of I've heard this not not once but many times. Usually in couples therapy, one partner wants to be there, the other partner feels like they have to be there. Yes. And the partner feels like they have to be there. I've had it said to me before, you're not going to go into my childhood, are you? Because that's got nothing to do with this. Yes. How do you respond when someone says that? I mean, I, I think it's such a fascinating uh, way of uh, coming into therapy because it's very guarded and defense, defensive. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm kind of generalizing and, and, and saying a blanket statement but when you're unprepared or unwilling or nervous about going into a certain area of your life that's probably the area of your life you most need to look into <laughs> and um, it, it, I have the same feeling when someone says to me my childhood was normal it was absolutely normal <laughs> and I'm thinking okay well what does normal mean I haven't really asked you to tell me whether or not it was normal or abnormal, I'm actually genuinely curious about what it was like for you. So, and, and what, does, what does normal mean within this context? So I think I answer that question by asking, by kind of being curious about why it's a, a complex area to go into, obviously respecting the person and, you know, I have to go at their pace, whatever they're comfortable with. But at the same time, I probably will highlight that, you know, we learn so much in our childhood. We learn so much about, we, we have so many examples about what a relationship might look like. We, you know, form our ideas on, um, on love, on uh, our own bodies, what's acceptable, what isn't acceptable. Um, and again, boundaries, that word come, comes back. And we, we get that from not only, you know, our parents, but also, you know, the media, from school relationships um, and, and so on. So it's a very, it's, it's definitely an area to look at. So when people don't want to, I'm actually very curious about why not. So, so am I. That for me already says more than, you know, telling me something about your childhood. It, it says a lot. Um, the unsaid, should I say, says quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think for a couple, very often in couples therapy, when they're trying to make sense of their dynamics, their relationships, uh, the relationship dynamic, their, their patterns, there's very often a expectation versus reality. And it's, it links to what something you've just said, which is what a relationship should look like in terms of what people have seen and heard or grown up with your expectations are very often different from reality. Would you say that that's accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very true. I mean, you know, a lot of people love rom-coms and Disney movies and you know, we get a very oh, yeah. skewed <laughs> version of, of uh, what a relationship looks like. And also at the end of the movie, it ends with happily ever after. And what does that mean? <laughs> um, because if, when you walk off hand in hand, now that's where the journey begins, really. That's where the beginning of the movie should be. 
Um, and and it is it is very difficult. And all of our lives are nuanced, let alone our relationships. So as individuals, we'll go through ups and downs. We have struggles. We have you know all the, all the weird and wonderful things that life brings. And we not only have to negotiate that for ourselves, we also have to think about that within a relationship if we are in you know, uh, that type of, if we choose to let that be part of our relationship. Yeah, I was just thinking to myself, we never really got to see what Beauty and the Beast did on a Sunday afternoon when they were alone together <laughs> to understand, you know, how they deal with life's problems and and particularly actually how they communicate, how, how they're able to express their needs and wants and desires to each other, their dislikes, their likes. And I, I guess it also makes me think of communication patterns because that is often particular to, to people within a relationship. You might communicate in one way with your romantic partner, but in another way with your mother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's a, there's a, I, I, this is in uh, Eastern, I think it's a Buddhist concept about the self. You know, in the Western world, we often think of, of the self as one fixed thing, I am myself. Whereas in, in, um, in more Eastern philosophies, the self is relational. So I am oneself as a daughter, as a colleague, as a mother, as a partner. Um, and I will be different in those different aspects of myself. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that's, that's very interesting in relationships because often we, we can feel stifled maybe because we, we don't feel we can express different aspects of ourselves with the one person. And I guess that could be really challenging if you don't feel like in an important relationship in your life with a loved one, whether that is a family or a romantic person, if you can't express yourself or if you feel like it's it's a risk emotionally to express yourself. For me, that pattern is a really unhealthy pattern or a really unhealthy dynamic that could come out of a relationship. I completely agree. I completely agree. And and actually, when I was thinking about um, about relationships, I was thinking not only about the common relationships we get into, but also sometimes the the more toxic um, patterns, and you know, ones where uh, I I would I would encourage someone to think about, you know how they've contributed to this and how they can get themselves out and um, to, to reflect on why this is, why they, why they accept something that they wouldn't accept for another loved one. What are some of the toxic patterns we need to look out for? So yeah. I want to kind of help people that are listening to maybe identify if they are currently in a toxic dynamic in a relationship what what should they be looking out for i think the signs the common signs to look out for would be you know someone who is i trying to attempting to isolate you from your family from your friends uh someone who isn't paying any attention to your interests and is kind of pushing their agenda also making excuses for someone, you know, blaming yourself for the way, for the way they're feeling. Uh, these are, these are all signs that I think the relationship really needs to be looked at. Um, and also any general feelings of inequality, 
Um, Do you think that there's hope for those relationships? They, they can see a change? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think there is hope. And that is really based on the level of self-reflection for each person. Oh, um, can you say that again? It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I can say it again. And I love saying it again because I, I, the self-reflection is the area where I feel the most change can happen. And it is, it is the, apart from communication, it is the most important area of a relationship, especially even the relationship you have with yourself. So without self-reflection, not, there's not much room for change or acknowledgement. And uh, you will continue to repeat the same patterns you, you have with yourself and with other people. So um, self-reflection is the area I feel is, is most um, transformative. You know, if, if someone's able to, to self-reflect, then uh, there's a lot of potential for change there. Absolutely, owning up and taking, being accountable for what you contribute to the relationship and to, to the dynamic that plays out. Although I want to maybe throw a spanner in, not a spanner in the works per se, but if we've got two people in a very toxic dynamic where there is perhaps some physical, emotional abuse going on, I'm going to pay devil's advocate here and say, well, one might say that the, the person on the receiving end of that physical and emotional abuse is not needing to own up to and be accountable to what's happening in that dynamic how do we how do we navigate that? Very good. I mean, I, I think this is a, a really interesting question um, because obviously we under no circumstances is physical, emotional, sexual, financial abuse um, something to tolerate. At the same time, you have to think about what what led uh, to people to stay. In, in, in this type of dynamic. Because as, as you know, as we know, people often stay in relationships for a very long time, uh, wishing for something to change, you know, and having lots of promises that aren't, you know, broken promises. Um, and they stay for a, a very long time and we have to kind of wonder why, why that is. You know, why are you choosing? Because it is a choice to stay in a relationship where you know that it's very clear that it's it's not an acceptable way to, to be in a relationship. I can speak as somebody who's been in a very, a very challenging and toxic relationship a very long time ago. And it's interesting because it doesn't matter how many people say to you, you know, this is not good, or this isn't a healthy relationship, or this person doesn't treat you very well. It's interesting how you try and and make it okay in your head. No, but if you don't get it, or it isn't like that, it's you do stay. I can vouch for that. You you do stay because you want it to work. You you want to think that everything will be okay. You know, we hold on to hope as human beings. We need hope. That's it's a absolute you know fundamental to human existence is hope so you want things to be different and I guess in hindsight 
wonderful thing very, very long ago, I can now see how unbelievably toxic that relationship was, unbelievably so, and really bad for both of us. And I can also, again, lots of therapy of my own, I can see what I contributed to in, in that dynamic and where my role was in that dynamic playing out again and again and again over the years. So it's, it's, it's great that I can now own it and recognize it and learn from it, but it's really being in that position is very, very hard. And again, that is, I think, coming back to what you mentioned earlier about the past traumas. That's, that's how I think anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also agree that it is very, very difficult when you're in that type of relationship to to see clearly what's happening and usually like in like in most relationships the beginning is wonderful you know and so you're constantly trying to make it uh something that you that you know it can be because it has been before and you know that hope and determination isn't to be snuffed at you know it's it's to it's actually a, a very wonderful thing um and i think when, when people are observing, let's say their friend in a situation like this, um, it's, it's no good really to say, to, to ju- well, I mean, it's maybe not the most helpful thing to say, um, you know, you should leave and that's it. Um, and because that might isolate you from that person, but instead to say, you know, you're experiencing this, I support you in any decision that you make. I'm going to always be here supporting you, you know, and if, if at any time you feel strong enough, you, and you want to change things, I will support you. And, 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 and that's it really. And just be someone um, to, to be a support, even though it's maybe difficult to, to watch. Um, but sorry, to go, to go back to your question, yes, I, I agree that a lot of it is to do with um, our own trauma. And I think it's really amazing that you can uh, comment, you know, on, on your own experience and learn from that. And I really do believe that all relationships are lessons for us to learn. Um, I 100% agree with you. And of course, there are, there are I don't regret a lot in life, but I, I must say, I look back on these relationships, not with regret, but as, as you've just said, as lessons. And it's interesting. I often share a little bit about myself in my therapy. I use self-disclosure and, and in my podcasts, because I know the power of self-disclosure, the research is there to show us, you know, from a, from an academic perspective, really how powerful it can be, but also because it helps people recognize that they are quite normal. You and I, we're therapists. We, we have studied this. We have trained many, many long hours and days and gotten many accreditations under our belts and research projects and, 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 but we're still human at the end of the day. And sometimes I think hearing me reflect and hearing you say, yes, that's normal. And, you know, the fact that this happened is important and that can be really helpful for people. So I find that there's a lot of power in that. And I guess, my train of thought then is going to the not necessarily toxic pattern, but the really just dysfunctional or unhealthy or just difficult pattern that a a couple, let's, let's do the romantic couple for now, might find themselves in. Because I think 
for the majority of people, maybe, and that's a, a it's not an evidence-based statement there, but I think for the majority of people, they're not necessarily in toxic relationships. They're just not in very happy relationships if it's a difficult pattern that they're in. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And I definitely agree with what you said about self-disclosure as well. Very powerful. Um, but to go back to the kind of dysfunctional, or if you're finding that at times it is dysfunctional, um, there are ways of thinking about your common uh, styles of communication. So as you know, you know John Gottman's research um, led to um, identifying four types of conflict patterns. So um, when, when you're in a kind of conflict situation, some people might use criticism uh, rather than talking about um, what they would like. They are kind of saying, don't do this or criticizing their, their partner. Um, or they might be very guarded and defensive rather than be open to thinking about how how the other person is feeling um, or they might be stonewalling so just completely shut off um, from any you know uh, emotional connection or even shut off from listening to, to the person and, and or there may be contempt a pattern of contempt um, you know which is what it says on the tin basically and um, can lead to, you know, lead to your partner feeling very uh, dismissed and not valued. And I think these, these are the areas where when you find that maybe this is happening in your communication, uh, stepping back and, and identifying what's happening and then potentially being able to shift it or even talk about it with, with your partner, say, you know what, I realize that whenever we have this conversation, and usually you'll have the same type of conversation over and over again, an unresolved conflict that you talk about over and over again, and it's exhausting, you know. But um, so you'll re it'll give you an opportunity to recognize what the pattern is and then say, you know what, I do recognize this pattern. Let's talk about the pattern instead of talking about the dishes or whatever it is. Yeah, because we both know it's not about the dishes. <laughs> right, exactly. It's never about the dishes. It's never about the socks left on the floor or the dishes left outside of the dishwasher and not inside. It's it's what's underneath that, the emotional stuff underneath that that keeps you in that pattern and actually recognizing your own behavior when you're you're in that moment, when you're in that conflictual space and going, what do I do when we're here? how do I react? How do I feel? And what I'll often get uh, couples to do is I do an emotional timeout. If there's intense conflict, we, we, with my couples, we do initially, if there's, if, you know, if things are really, really bad, we do rules of the rules of engagement. First and foremost, what you're absolutely not allowed to do when there's conflict, scream, shout, throw things, uh, you should not be fighting late at night or after alcohol or and so on. But then take your emotional time out and you go off into your respective corners 
<laughs> and not think about what you've done, but yes, think about what you've done, actually. Think about what you are experiencing and, and what's coming up for you and how you're responding to what your partner's doing. So you, you gave those examples of the four horsemen, which are quite scary because when all four of those exist, Gottman says that that is a predictor for, for divorce in, in marriages. When the four horsemen exist within a relationship or in a marriage, that is, it's highly likely that that relationship or that marriage is going to end. So you go off into your corner and you take some time to think about, well, when they yelled at me, what did I do? Well, I immediately shut down. I immediately went quiet. I immediately started seething and getting really angry. Okay, well, what does that tell me about what's happening in this relationship? And then as soon as I was seething or my partner was seething, what did I do? Did I become more, you know, shouty and more angry and more aggressive and in their face and, you know, like throw more contempt at them? What is the the action, the emotion that's coming mm. up for you that you could own? Because I think we're so, so quick to do the he said, she said, he said, he said, and so on thing in a, in a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's fantastic that you ask people to step back and, you know, reflect on how they're feeling. And they, they might find, I mean, in my experience, it, really the argument is about, I don't feel loved, I don't feel respected, I don't feel heard. Um, and sometimes I use a technique with people so that they can really listen to each other because so, so many times in conversation we're, we're not able to hear what the other person is saying. We're just thinking about how we're going to answer back. You know? Oh, yeah. And, um, and obviously that gets in the way of actually listening. Um, so I, I think what you do is brilliant. So, so what is it that you do in, in getting people to, how would you, how did you do that? Well, I, I use a, a technique, it's called, I heard you say. So I ask um, people to, uh, to do this only when the conversation isn't heated, you know, not at the height of conflict, but when they're, when they've calmed down a little bit and the temperature is cooler and to tell each other, okay, I want to use that tool that I, I want to play the, I heard you say game. And um, what they do is they, they pick the topic, maybe it's the dishes, and they, uh, one person starts and says a few sentences about the dishes and how they felt and what that meant to them. And the other person then simply repeats. They simply repeat what was said. And then they say, is that right? You know? And then that gives an opportunity for clarification and then they reverse roles. And, and that's, that's it, basically. So really active listening. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Most people, most people don't do that. I'm absolutely guilty of doing that as well. And, and I also find even the detached listening, and I give my other half grief for this all the time, but I'm so guilty of it as well. The phone in front of the face, yeah. I'm talking to him, he's talking to me, and I'm not concentrating at all on what he's saying or you know he's on on what i'm saying trying to formulate an answer in your head before your partner's finished speaking right. you know showing disinterest rolling your eyes or not looking at them i think that something that's so inherent to all of us actually is just wanting to feel heard yeah. because if we feel heard we feel that we're seen yeah. and we feel that our partner is actually on board with what's going on for us exactly. not just what's going on for them yeah yeah, and, and I think that that's exactly right. And feeling heard and seen. Ultimately, you might not resolve the conflict, 
but that completely reduces the intensity of the feeling behind it. Um, and it then helps you to communicate in a way that's much more effective. So if a couple recognizes an unhelpful or unhealthy pattern between them where it's kind of the back and forth and back and forth, so it always seems to be about the dishes or the socks on the floor, whatever it is, what what's the first thing that they can do? You know, you've spoken a little bit about communication. We've spoken a little bit about self-reflection. But if we could give those people listening, couples or individuals who who think back to their past relationships, kind of a few steps to think about what 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 could people do in that situation? I think it's important to start with yourself and think, okay, why why is this important to me? Why, why does this make me feel that way? And then continue to ask yourself that question, why? So, you know, if, if the dishes mean that, you know, not doing the dishes mean you haven't listened to me, why is it important to me to feel heard? Why is it important to me to, to feel listened to? Uh, maybe it means that I'm valued as opposed to, you know, not valued in the relationship. Okay, why is it important to me to feel valued? Because it means I feel loved, you know, and, and, then, and then communicate the reasons, the way you feel to to your partner rather and also a very specific um uh, solution for it as well so you might esther perel uses this formula she uses the formula where you say in situation x when you do y i feel z or z depending on where you're from mm -hmm. um and i think that's a great way of really specifying what's happening and why it's happening. Um, and it, it helps people, I think, you know, it, it'll help your partner to, to not see it as a general issue when they, maybe they don't know how to resolve it. Instead, it gives them a specific way of doing something different. Can you uh, repeat the equation one more time? So it's um, in situation X, when you do Y, I feel Z. Amazing. And why do you think that that short, sweet, really to the point co kind of concise equation could work so well between partners? I think it really pinpoints exactly what's happening. It tells the partner what the feeling is. Um, so that highlights the importance of it. Um, and it also gives them a way to maybe do something different about it, uh, something specific. Um, yeah. I, I love it. It's, I mean, love Esther Perel. She's just absolutely wonderful. And her, her manner in which she has, I think, revolutionized our understanding of modern relationships is quite profound. And that is such a simple yet effective sentence, particularly the last bit, because you're owning a feeling. Yes, you're making it your own, and and I think this is something I, I would I I want to say, but I think is always important for us to recognize that you are entitled to feelings. Your yeah. feelings are valid. If if you are feeling sad, for somebody to say to you don't be sad is actually invalidating that feeling that you have. Yeah. So we need to be able to say I feel sad and have somebody understand and recognize that that's not their feeling, and they they're not necessarily needing to try and make sense of it they just need to recognize that you are experiencing that feeling that is your feeling in that moment yeah. 
not to defend against it, not to try and, you know, turn it around and say, yeah, well, I feel sad too. It's very unhelpful in that moment, but to just really hear your partner when they say what it is that they want to say to you in such a simple, concise and clear way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And to sit with it, sit with the feeling, you know, together together before you jump in with with your own I think when when someone answers well I feel sad too it's because they feel attacked by the sadness of their partner as if they have to fix it Um, but the partner isn't asking for you to fix anything they're just saying how they're feeling and it's okay as you said to feel that way and very valid exactly and I, I said it in the very very start of this episode that I've given workshops in corporate settings where I've used theory from relationships that's really resonated with a lot of people. That statement, even in a corporate setting, would be really, really helpful. And I also wonder, or I am also wondering about the the relationship patterns. Do you think that the, the patterns that we experience at home will play out at work and vice versa? That's a great question. That's a great question. I think whatever way we feel about ourselves will be reflected in our various relationships in the outside world. Um, uh, But I don't think that necessarily if things are deteriorating at work, things need to be deteriorating at home and vice versa. Um, In fact, it might be the exact opposite. Um, But but I I do feel that... um, you you reflect your internal world externally. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I also agree with your point that sometimes things can be falling apart at work, but be really good at home or falling apart at home, be really good at work. And we tend to shift our energy um, to the place that feels safer uh, rather than the place that feels unsafe. So if you're in a toxic relationship you may put all your time and energy into work because that place feels safer than your your relationship does and when I talk about safer yes we've spoken about physical abuse but I'm actually speaking about emotional safety I know you you you're nodding so you you're I mean obviously you know what I mean but it's I suppose maybe just a really helpful question in in wrapping up our conversation but the patterns that play out between people the, the dysfunctional patterns can lead to this lack of emotional safety. Now that's, that's a deal breaker, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously, it's not a happy place. You know, it's not a happy place when you're, when you're unhappy and you don't feel safe and you don't feel you can express yourself or you don't feel heard or, you know, you're feeling like you're, there's a battle in a place which should be comforting and wonderful and supportive. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that, um, again, you know, being, you asked if it's a deal breaker, being aware of what your particular uh, needs are in a relationship, that will help you pinpoint where, where the deal breaker is. And I think if we, we can, we as human beings, we can change uh, within ourselves, but we have to be able, you can't kind of make someone else change. They have to want to change that for themselves. So if you see signs that that person is making in order to change something for themselves that you are happy with, that's great. But I think it's a kind of 
illusion to think that just because you want someone to change, they will. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a massive illusion. But also, if you're in a relationship and in the early days and you're trying to change your partner, that's probably not a very good relationship to be in. No, that's right. That's right. So to wrap up, the, the, the question that I kind of finish off with for my guests is if you were only allowed to share one bit of advice with the people who come to see you, only one little piece of advice for the rest of your career, what, what would it be? Um, I would say that the most important relationship you have is the relationship you have with yourself and to nurture that and other ones will fall into place afterwards it's it's a it's a super super powerful point for us to end off on i'm so thankful for your time and your expertise you're so knowledgeable about about dynamics between people and relationships and how they play out and I'm I'm so excited to to perhaps continue this conversation. There there is already a, another idea I had in my head based on something you were saying that I think we should probably chat about doing an episode on and on how to identify your needs. I know this is the most difficult answer for people to give for the question that I ask of what are your needs? People right. they just don't know. Yeah, well, I, I would love to. And I'm really thrilled that you, you asked me um, to participate. And I've loved having this conversation with you. And um, you're, you're kind of telling me um, that I'm knowledgeable is partly because of the questions that you're asking. So thank you. Well, well, thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe to this podcast and continue learning about some incredible and fascinating topics that we need to know more and talk more about. You can subscribe and follow this podcast on your favorite platform. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you would rate and review it. This episode was sponsored by Desir. Desir believes that sexual health is not just about the latest sex toy, but about using products to improve one's overall sexual health and well-being. For 15% off, use the code for a friend.